basically this judicial reform or judicial or, or constitutional coup, its aim was to strengthen the executive branch, which is already quite strong in Israel, uh, but it wanted to strengthen it, it further and to politicize, for example, the election of judges. And then after you politicize the election of judges, it's also easier to pass on laws that are not democratic in their nature. Welcome to the Eliamep podcast series. I have the pleasure to host in the Eliamep series of podcasts, Gallia Lindenstrauss, a senior research fellow at the Institute for National Security Studies and editor of the Institute's journal, Strategic Assessment. Gallia, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you very much for the invitation to join you. Well, Israel's security environment is uh, deteriorating. Since the start of April, Israel has found itself facing a multi-front increase in security threats that reflect also the deterioration in Israeli-Palestinian relations over the past year. What has triggered this in your opinion? What has happened in this last year that has made things again uh, worse in Israel? Yes, well, you know, Israel is, has continuous challenges in the security realm. And in terms of the Israeli-Palestinian arena, unfortunately, we haven't been able to solve our, our differences with the Palestinians. And hence, also in the previous government, we already saw a beginning of the deterioration. But with this new government, which is more uh, is considered the most extreme right government Israel ever had in its history, then uh, everything this government does is even perceived worse than if another government would have done that. Uh, so there were several steps that were uh, perceived negatively by the Palestinians. And we also see, yes, that there's also growing Iranian efforts to to see more a more united front against Israel. So in this uh, past Ramadan, which would basically, if you look at it in retrospect, people worried it would be much worse. So in retrospect, it wasn't that bad. But in Ramadan, yes, we saw that Israel uh, had uh, multiple fronts and could have developed to a multi-front war. Luckily, we're not we're not there. Well, we had the impression that um, after the Abraham Accords, that is the series of agreements that normalize relations between Israel and several Arab states, that things would get uh, better, even in the Palestinian front. Um, that is not so. Is that uh, correct? Now, with uh, the government of uh, Netanyahu, we've seen foreign policy that uh, he gets also a cold shoulder from the United States and also from uh, Israel's Ara uh, allies in the Arab world. Um, does that have anything to do also with who Mr. Netanyahu is, you think, who this government is? Yes, uh, basically, yes, the idea with the Abram Accords was that Israel would, would repair its relations with uh, Arab countries, and this would in turn uh, later on uh, bring a better relationship also between Israel and the Palestinians. Uh, this currently has not worked in two elements. One, we, the Abram Accords was not expanded. There were not really more significant countries that join along. We're still in the initial countries that's, that signed the agreements. That was one problem. Uh, the other problem, yes, that this government was seen as, uh, as I mentioned, as, as more extreme, and anything it does is also interpreted uh, as something that is is not conducive to Israeli-Palestinian relations. So this has made it harder 
for uh, the original Arab uh, Abraham Accords countries to to continue the momentum, and there was a chilling effect uh, on Israel's relations with this country. If you add to that the, the fact that this that the current government in Israel also has some problems with the Biden administration. This does affect Israel's image. This does. It seems that Israel is weakening, and if you add to that, of course, the internal protest in Israel, then this uh, image of Israel weakening is having its effect also on Israel's foreign relations. Well, we we may say a lot of things about Israel. We may criticize Israel for many things, but not for its democratic values. Until now, Gaia. Um, is that going to change because there are concerns about the harm to democracy from the judicial overhaul that the government of Netanyahu tried to put forward? Uh, then it was stopped by the strong civil society. Um, is democracy in Israel in danger? So Israel had seen uh, before this internal crisis, there was also a political crisis. We had five elections in less than four years. And that, of course, created a lot of instability. Uh, part of the reason for this instabilities were the, the corruption charges against Israel Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. There's a court case against him. And hence, some parties are not willing to have him uh, as prime minister. And this so, sort of created a... Uh, it gave more power to the, the extreme left and the extreme right in Israel's political system. It, it weakened the center because the center could not agree that Netanyahu would be prime minister. So following the last election in which, uh, first of all, the center left did a miscalculation and got less uh, parliament seats than it could have. And second of all, there's also a feeling of less uh, personal safety in Israel. So there was a call for strong people to, to do law and order. And hence, there was more uh, votes for the right. And so uh, Netanyahu did manage to form a government after this last election. But it was the most, as, a, as I already mentioned, it was the most extreme right government Israel ever had. And this government quite early on uh, decided that it would promote what they called the judicial reform. But what the opposition calls... Um, basically uh, a constitutional coup, a change of Israel's uh, regime to to what the opposition sees as, as non-democratic. And it, basically this judicial reform or judicial or, or a constitutional coup, its aim was to strengthen the executive branch, which is already quite strong in Israel, uh, but it wanted to strengthen it, it further and to politicize, for example, the election of judges. And then after you politicize the election of judges, it's also easier to pass on laws that are not democratic in their nature. And this raised a lot of concern about uh, among uh, center-left Israelis, and they went to the streets. So we're now talking about more than four months of a protest movement. It managed to make the government uh, stop temporarily this uh, judicial reform, but it's basically uh, the legislation is already ready. So they can, in 24 hours, put it again on the table of the parliament and move it ahead. So there's a lot of concern in the protest movement to keep, um, to be alert and not to stop until the this government uh, promises that it will not move ahead with the constitutional reform. Uh, we're currently stuck in this, this moment in the sense that the protest movement has proven stronger than the government expected. Uh, but on the other hand, the government is also proven quite uh, insistent that it will move ahead with the constitutional reform. Uh, so we're in sort of deadlock and we'll see how Israel gets out of it, I hope, because some of the, the issues that are being discussed are very fundamental issues in how Israel should continue its its existence and identity issues. Uh, that actually these were 
issues we shied away from discussion uh, for many years and, and we, we let things deteriorate. I hope that this this very frank discussion that is now taking place in Israel will after we get out of this crisis we'll, we will get out stronger and um, and with regard to democracy I think that Israel because it's it's so much based on knowledge in the sense that both its uh, military advantage and its economy is so much based on a knowledge economy uh, it can't afford uh, to be non-democratic because these people there will be a brain drain and uh, all this uh, dependence on knowledge Will, will will evaporate. So I think in order to survive in the future, Israel has to be democratic, and I hope uh, we will get out of this uh, crisis strengthened. Are you worried that with this uh, government, with the government of, uh, of Benjamin Netanyahu and the relations with the Palestinians so tense now that um, these regional uh, tensions will uh, increase and, and become also cross-border to, with Syria and Lebanon because of the new Israeli government's policy stance? I mean, the, the Israeli-Palestinian issue is a, is, is a, is a lingering uh, problem that Israel has not been able to solve. Um, th- there was a major break uh, after the second Intifada in the 2000s, and which many Israelis felt that this was that this meant that there was no solution uh, to this, this conflict and it had, had to be managed. There's no way to solve it, just manage it. And, and since then, there has been dr- a drift to the right in the Israeli public opinion. And Netanyahu, as of course, uh, is a right-wing uh, leader, but he has been in the past a very cautious leader. Uh, during his years, actually, Israel avoided wars, and he's known that he is very, um, very cautious in going out to war. The question is whether his uh, coalition partners will 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 make him go in a certain direction that is dangerous uh, to stability, and also is he the same leader that we knew from before or? He has, he has changed uh, because of this court case against him and the fact that he feels that his future is dependent on on, on changes to Israel legal system. And that, that's on the side of the Israelis. Of course, also Israel's enemies are also preparing and looking at Israel, and they perhaps also have a false impression that Israel's uh, military strength has weakened. Uh, I think this is not, not, not the case. I think Israel's military is still strong and can still answer military threats in a very forceful manner. But uh, this combination between internal weakness in Israel and the perception that Israel is weakening, this perception among uh, outside actors that Israel is sort of weakening is, is dangerous to stability. I agree with you. Well, um, we know that Israel has good relations with Russia. How do you think that the war in Ukraine and Russian aggression, Russian war against Ukraine has affected the relations of of Israel also with uh, the member states of the EU, of course the United States, um, but also Turkey. I want to talk also about the relations of of Israel with uh, uh, Turkey. I read uh, recently in an opinion article in Jerusalem Post that Turkey and Israel have managed to salvage their relationship. Do you think that is so, and that has to do also with the diplomacy of the earthquake, like it happened with Greece, with Greece and Turkey relations? Yes, uh, so these are two questions. One with regard to Israel's position on the war of Ukraine. Of course, the war in Ukraine requires uh, everyone to to decide where they sit. And Israel, in the past, it was very clear that Israel is in the Western camp. Uh, but following Russia's uh, intervention in the Syrian civil war, uh, Russia and Israel formed a uh, closer working relations and um, 
a lot of what Israel does in in Syria is um, at least coordinated with Russia to to the fact that Russian planes will not be um, affected by Israel's actions in Syria, and and this this is and Israel wants to maintain its freedom of maneuver uh, in 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 Syria, and this has been a cause for Israel hesitancy to be uh, completely outspoken uh, against uh, Russia's actions in Ukraine. Although Israel has said, of course, it condemns this um, attack and that it is um, in favor of, of course, maintaining Ukraine's uh, full sovereignty. Um, that's one issue. Another issue is, is the Jewish population in Russia, which is significant. And this is also a cause of concern of how Russia might uh, negatively treat uh, the Jews in Russia. Uh, if Israel is is too much vocal uh, in favor of Ukraine, so this was basically the situation in the beginning of the war. What what has changed is now that uh, Russia has much more closer relations with Iran uh, because of the war in Ukraine, and that is a cause of concern in Israel. So I think there will be probably some somewhat a change of stance of Israel uh, with regard to the war in Ukraine. Uh, with regard to re- relations with. Uh, with Turkey, so as part of Turkey's attempts to normalize relations with different countries in the Middle East, including Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, um, Egypt, even Syria, uh, Turkey also approached uh, Israel to normalize relations. And this was has been successful in the sense that the ambassadors have ever been brought back to Ankara and Tel Aviv. They were not in place since 2018. And in 2022, they, they were reinstated. Now, uh, this was the, the backdrop of the earthquake, that there was already ambassadors back to Tel Aviv and Ankara. There was goodwill that was resulted from this normalization. But of course, yes, the earthquake, uh, like Greece, um, Israel responded quickly and sent a very respectable uh, rescue mission and also uh, medical uh, staff to, to Turkey. And this was appreciated just, I guess, as you said, just like it was greatly appreciated that the Greek help to Turkey. And uh, yes, yeah, so, so this is a this is a good momentum. But we know that I mean, this is the current situation. But we should be also skeptic that this might, will necessarily uh, continue in the future because we know uh, Netanyahu and uh, Erdogan have been uh, rhetorical, have had their rhetorical battles, and Erdogan has been very critical with regard to Israel. Uh, so at, at the moment, we're in a good period in Turkish-Israeli relations in terms of atmosphere, at least. Uh, but whether this will continue, uh, this is a this is an open question. And in general, Israel-Turkey relations are very far from where they were in the 1990s. And the only really strong point currently going on with Turkey and Israel is the economic relations. Here, definitely, um, the bilateral trade is very impressive. We have an eight uh, billion dollar mutual trade. Most of it is Turkey's exports to Israel. What is your opinion about uh, the elections in in Turkey, Gaia? Do you believe that uh, um, Turkey's foreign policy and its stance towards the West will change if uh, Erdogan loses the elections and Gilis Daroglu is uh, the winner? Or um, there will be no significant uh, changes after all? And that's what we hear now is only the uh, pre-election rhetoric. So the first question, I think, is whether Erdogan will accept defeat. Um, it's actually hard to imagine him uh, leaving power in a peaceful manner. So that's one question mark. But even if the opposition does uh, does govern Turkey, um, Erdogan is living a difficult legacy in the sense that the economic situation is dire. 
the government is probably hiding the real scope of the of the, the economic crisis. Currently, it's doing all sorts of populist economic uh, measures to ease the economic burden of the fact that the, there's a hyperinflation and, and the devaluation of the Turkish lira. But after the elections are over, these populist measures will no longer be in place and hence the burden on, on Turkish citizens will be heavier. So that's one difficult legacy Erdogan is leaving. The other issue is, of course, the, the recovery from the earthquake. Um, the reconstruction costs are enormous. Um, there are a million and a half people that don't have houses in Turkey and need there need new houses to be built. There are, the, of course, Turkish construction companies that are able to do this in practice, but you need the funding, you need the money. And that's also a difficult legacy. And lastly, I would say that from the Israeli experience um, that we before this government, we had this uh, anti-Netanyahu government that was a very broad coalition of different parties with very different ideologies. And it was very hard to manage this change of government in Israel. It managed to hold into power only one year. I think in the Turkish case, also the opposition uh, currently unites against Erdogan. But after, if if and after they gain power, they, they will have a hard time to function in terms of their, their ideological differences. And that's a source of concern. Now, how all of this will affect foreign policy? Um, clearly, there will be some some more goodwill towards Turkey in the West if the probably if there will be if it will seem that the opposition won and there was a peaceful transition of power, it would seem like Turkey's back to a, a more democratic path and that would be appreciated in the West, especially in the context of this war in Ukraine, in which it feels that also democracy is in threat. Um, but but uh, after the few first few months in which there will be better atmosphere, the old problems uh, will likely return. Uh, the fact that the EU accession process is basically not going to materialize in in Turkey joining the EU at at, at the end of the end the end of the tunnel. Um, also, of course, within the Eastern Mediterranean, the opposition, uh, some of its nationalistic parts are, and even the more center parts, I think, are united in uh, quite hawkish views on the Eastern Mediterranean. And with regard to the Middle East, I think here there's also quite a consensus that there is need for uh, sustaining these new normalized relations with uh, the United Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Israel, Egypt, and uh, also Syria. And, and in a way, the opposition actually, Erdogan is doing what the opposition thought he should have done uh, already before the election. So there will be a continuation on this element. Uh, with regard to the US, that's an interesting question because anti-Americanism has become quite widespread also in Turkey. So it's Biden had a personal issue also with Erdogan. He didn't, he almost didn't speak to him on the phone. He didn't invite him. Uh, so maybe if there's a change of leader, there will be also more opening of the space uh, for better U.S.-Turkey relations. Do you see also a change in Greek-Turkish relations um, after the elections? Greece has elections, Turkey has elections. Do you see that this uh, momentum of better understanding each other that came after the earthquake in Turkey um, may lead us to have a better understanding of each other and not being always at the throat of each other and with this rhetoric uh, um, war kind rhetoric. Here, of course, uh, you're more experts than, than myself, but uh, echoing some insight I, I, I got in this in the Delphi Economic Forum, I just uh, participated in. Um, 
there is it's clear that there's a better atmosphere between Turkey and Greece and, and at, atmosphere does matter um, and the atmosphere creates a, a good place where you can um, advance relations uh, but you also need substance you also need to to translate this atmosphere into concrete steps to to improve uh, relations and here some uh, people in the in the Delphi forum were skeptic and and it does seem that despite the fact that the Turkey and Greece has, have discussed the issues, for example, of the delimitation of the easies, they have discussed these issues. In a way, there's, there seems to be still many roadblocks in solving this issue. And also, of course, the Cyprus uh, question, how do you, do you solve that? Um, the only thing we can say is that uh, it seems that the countries of, in the region, at least Turkey, Greece and uh, and Cyprus will be over the election cycle very soon. I mean, I, Cyprus already had elections and, and Turkey and Greece are having the elections very soon. And getting out of the election cycle, sometimes in the first year after election cycle, you can promote things that are difficult to promote later on um, when elections are, are closer. And so I would say there is good atmosphere. There's needs to translate it to concrete steps uh, very soon or else we'll lose the momentum of the good environment. Dania, thank you very much for finding the time to have this discussion uh, with me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the attention. This was another Eliamep podcast with Odin Linardatu. Recording, editing and sound editing by Petros Karpathiou. Follow us on the Eliamep channels on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and elsewhere.